Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Kara's Cure Show, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness for our mind, body, and spirit. I'm Kara Sundlin. So how can we as parents really help our children cultivate healthy friendships as we start the new school year? You know, this is something that a lot of parents worry about, but it's a learned skill. So we're going to learn how to do it better with the do's and don'ts as our role as a parent. And I'm joined by Dr. Laura Saunders, who is a child psychologist with the Institute of Living. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Saunders. Thank you for having me, Kara. You know, some kids, it just seems like they're the quote-unquote popular kids. They make lots of friends. For other kids, it's not so easy. And it's always hard for parents if you feel like your kid is on the outside. So well, how, how important is our role as a parent with the way our children make friends? So as we head into the new school year, right, and it's, I think it's a, often a good time to, to reset or to create sort of new opportunities. And really, one, one, things, one of the things that the research shows pretty clearly is that building social relationships, making friendships, building connections is an absolutely critical life skill. And mm-hmm. while I am a huge proponent of of academics and and the educational experience, I say all the time, while academics are very important in school, I actually also believe that's learning to make friends and the social connections and and the emotional well-being, you know, creating emotional connections is so important or equally as important in as academics. So the more we can, you know, create opportunities to build on these skills, the better it is. So what do we do if we're a parent and we're worried that our kid does not have friends at school or they're coming home feeling like they've got no one to sit with at the lunch table? It's a little easier, I think, for children, for elementary school age children, because children still have play, right? They haven't gotten into phones, hopefully. They haven't gotten into social media and they have play and they have hopefully other extracurricular activities. And the play is what helps build those 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 friendships and those connections, right? There's reciprocity, there's turn-taking, there's communication. You can have this, I'll play with this now, right? There's a lot of that good skill building. As our kids get a little older, so the tweens and the teens, it's harder because they do have phones, they do have social media, there's less opportunity to connect in person, um, and there's more barriers to what's <clears throat> literally right in front of them to really help them take those next steps. But it, it is important to remember that these are skills to be built. And it's not like, okay, you're good at making friends. You're not good at making friends. These are all skills to be built. And that's probably the best part about what you're talking about is that we can learn. And one way that parents can have a positive impact is that we model positive relationships? Yes. The, if you look at kind of the developmental timeline of, of parent friendships, because now I'm in that phase, you know, I have college age kids, I'm sort of reflecting back on a lot of that. And, and really throughout your, your parental development, you tend to become friends with other parents, with kids who have of the same age right so you you model a lot of like let's invite the smith family over because you know that the smith family has a child that's your same age and it provides opportunities where the adults can socialize and the young people can socialize um you know you start those things in elementary school and you build on those things in middle school and high school 
And you are modeling as parents that social connections are important. And I'm, I'm certainly not in any way saying that family relationships aren't vitally important, but we all need to know that we're connected to something bigger and those social connections are vital. And one of the things that we can do as parents, the do's, we're good, we'll do some of the do's and don'ts, but a parent do would be we teach social skills so we can actively teach things like active listening or empathy or how we communicate. Yes. And as part of teaching social skills and the, you know, the, the communication skills, you know, the, the other thing to consider is ultimately problem solving and conflict resolution. All relationships since the beginning of time have conflicts. There are times where you disagree with someone or you get into an argument or you, you want to do different things and you're not sure how to you know, resolve that. So learning to solve conflicts and resolve problems takes good communication. So that's why you want to build communication skills. You know, I was focused on I statements, right? So I, I really wanted us to go to the park today, but you're saying you want to go to the movies, right? So that's just sometimes like calling out what the dilemma is or what the conflict is. So modeling a lot of good communication really is very helpful. So sometimes what happens, at least with uh, my kids and they're in the young, you know, teenage years, but if I, if we recognize, hey, I want this and you want this, they immediately go to, well, that's not my fault or, you know, they want to blame. And and I don't know if that's just a kid thing or, or what, but um, are kids just developmentally different? And what do we do with, to teach kids that, hey, actually, we don't need to, it doesn't have to be a fault. We can actually resolve this. Well, that's the beauty of I statements, right? So I statements is about owning your part and taking responsibility. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I want to do this. And so therefore, this is what I'll do to make that happen. So, you know, it's not about blame, right? Blame is like finger pointing and you did this and you did that. Um, and so it's about I statements. And that's that's the ultimate way to kind of own your part of it, to to talk about your feelings, to communicate. I did this or I need to do this better next time. Um, so it's doing a lot of modeling around I statements. So a lot of times if we've done this and we've made friends with the other parents and then something happens like your kid gets excluded or your kid is the target of someone being mean, your reaction, your mother bear reaction is I'm calling up his mom or I'm going to get involved and help fix this. Should we not do that? So as a general rule, I actively discourage parents from fixing some of those problems. Now, that's it, it would be different if it was an ongoing power differential, seri like more serious conflict where there's safety involved. And um, by safety, I mean emotional safety. Um, you know, it may be just sort of in helping your child sort of break down what the issue is, looking at it as a you know, is this a single incident or is this a pattern of events? And then, you know, offering some problem solving. But remember, the older your child gets, the less they want your problem solving. And you'd say, listen, if you need some help figuring this out, I'm happy to, to you know, to, to role play or talk with you about it. Um, but let me know. Right. So you sort of offer that you're there to help, but encourage them to do it, because honestly, Teenagers don't want your input anyway. Um, so, but to, to allow them to fix some of it. I've had situations in my life where, you know, the, the children were, were more emotionally distant or not getting along, and I didn't interfere. I didn't 
you know, tell that parent, you need to tell your child to do it this way, or you, you know, your child's been mean to my child, or your child, ex- I didn't get involved in those situations because I let a lot of those situations play out. But again, if it gets into safety issues, that's a, that's a wholly different thing. Okay. So one thing we can do, at least for the younger kids, teens uh, don't even want to hear the word play date, but if they're younger, um, you would, you should facil- facilitate opportunities to create play dates so that your child can socialize. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's that's pretty common these days. Yeah. Um, you know, it didn't happen, you know, for a long while during COVID. COVID, I mean, we had to cr- create what we called pods, right? And we're, we're a pod together, and so we can socialize. Um, but remember, you know, these kids have missed about two years or so of social-emotional connection and, and contact and, and develop development. So doing things to sort of facilitate it now inviting, you know, telling your child that you want to allow them to invite a friend over doesn't mean you're hovering over and choosing the activities, right? So you're creating the settings, you know, seven-year-olds can't drive to each other's houses. I mean, the old days, you could just ride your bike around the corner or ride your bike a few blocks away. Um, That's not the case so much anymore. But, But letting, you know, creating some situations, letting things unfold, and actually, you know, I like to encourage parents to observe, right? Observe how the two people interact. Is your child more passive? Is the other child more aggressive? Does your child seem to fail to communicate or always gives way to whatever the other child wants to do? To kind of observe some of those situations, um, not necessarily intervene, but observe and look for patterns. And then if problems develop down the line, you have a better sense of, okay, my child might need to build some assertiveness so that they can manage themselves better in this particular situation. Is there a difference between boys and girls? I think many of us who are into child psychology have probably read, read the, the very famous book, Queen Bees and Wannabes, and uh, how girls interact versus boys. Is, is there something we need to understand about the difference in gender with how they might be making friends? So the, I do think there is, but I think it has a huge uh, socialization, how we socialize our children also plays a huge role in that. But I don't want to get, that's a whole, that's mm-hmm. a whole discussion in and of itself. But yes, uh, boys do tend to be more activity oriented They're So they're going to play video games together. They're going to ride bikes together. They're going to, you know, play ball together, you know, throw, you know, throw a, have a mitt and a, and a ball and, th- you know, play catch. They do tend to be more activity oriented. Girls tend to be, uh, less physical activity oriented and more kind of emotional activity activity oriented. And obviously now I'm speaking more for younger children, you know, they might play house together or play with dolls together. Not that they can't play with Legos or do other things, but there tends to be more emotional exchange in those activities. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so one thing we can do as parents is be supportive to encourage your child to pursue their interests. So if you have, uh, my son loves skiing, so you get them involved in skiing and he's probably going to find guys who also like skiing or vice versa, you know, find something your daughter loves. So we can find their activities and help get them with like children. That's yeah, that's that those shared values or those shared activities create a lot of natural connections. So if if you know, if your child's into dance or your child's into lacrosse or softball or basketball or soccer or whatever it is, it's more natural that they're going to create connections within those within those activities because there's shared values or shared, you know, a shared sense of connection. So 
older kids especially are, that are on social media there's a whole there's a whole bunch we could go into that number one they now know we didn't always know when we were left out they always know when they're left out or they are always comparing themselves so that's step one i guess if they're not feeling great about their friendship situation um it, it, a lot of times it's because they're looking on snap map or something and realizing they're excluded what should we do to tell them about that situation hey this isn't really real or or, or how much do we guide there yes so you know 20 years ago, if, if two, two teenagers got together and, the, you know, the third or fourth in the group didn't go, no one knew. Right mm-hmm. now we know because then there's there's an Instagram picture of these two, you know, take at, an, at a, a function or outside or whatever they're doing. And you realize that you weren't invited. So, yes, it does create a lot of um, exclusion. Although developing a little tolerance for exclusion is important because we can't all be included all the time. Mm. However, I, I want to look for patterns of exclusion. So if if your child has, a, a, you know, seems that there seems to be now a pattern of two or three other friends getting together and excluding your child, um, that's going to be some communication skills to work on that. And, you know, in the old days, it was you had to talk to someone face to face. Now it's, you know, and it's, I don't want kids to get into like, you know, why didn't you include me? It comes off super whiny, but it's, you know, it's more, oh, I would love to have seen the Barbie movie next time you go to the movies I'd love to go to, right? So it's opening that door. I think what sometimes kids don't realize if they say, if you say no a lot, like, no, I don't want to do that. Or no, I'm not interested in that. Kids just stop asking because they don't want the, you know, there's the expectation of rejection. Mm. Um, And so it's, you know, being aware of your own patterns as well and whether or not you are more open to doing things. um, But to, to open the door to communicate what you want. Yeah. Hey, next time you go to the movies or next time you go to the, um, you know, the, the skate park, uh, I'd love to go to, or, you know, it's, it's doing things in a way that's opening a door, but not being sort of blameful or accusatory. Yeah, no, that's an interesting response. So rather than sulk in the room and they're crying, like, oh, pretend like they don't care, or no, I'm not going to mention anything because that's embarrassing, because then they all know that I saw that I got excluded, is actually more acknowledging, like, oh, you know, like you don't, that, that response, hey, I noticed you guys all went to mini golf or now you say, hey, look, how is mini golf? If you ever go again, I'd love to go. I love mini golf. Yes. So you're opening a door. Um, you're not creating, you know, hurtful feelings. And the reality is the kids know that they're posting so much on social media. They do it because they want people to know what they're doing, who they're with. I mean, they're tagging other people. Mm. Um, So, of course, people know when they're not included in something. And sometimes it might be purposeful. Sometimes it might be more inadvertent. um, But to look at some of the patterns there. Right. Okay. And um, as far as uh, when kids are then maybe getting left out from a group over and over and they feel like, okay, I'm not part of this. You mentioned that sometimes we might want to guide our kids to find other friends who treat them in a way that makes them feel good. If you're seeing a pattern, you know, if your child is constantly feeling left out or constantly feeling excluded. And, and again, I, I would certainly validate that those are very painful feelings, Mm -hmm. right? 
they're painful feelings to feel like I'm excluded. Does that mean I'm not good enough? Does that mean no one likes me? Right. Those are painful feelings. So I don't want to invalidate those feelings. However, when it's happening repeatedly, I would want to look at something that feels more proactive as, as opposed to just being passive and just sort of accepting that fate. It's shifting your focus a little bit and saying, okay, well, is there someone in someone else that you play soccer with or someone else that you play volleyball with or someone else that you do dance with who you would like to do something with? And, you know, I'm certainly willing to help you or help, you know, drive, drive the two of you to go to the movies. Is there something proactive that you can do to reach out to someone else that maybe, you know, the reality is a lot of friend groups in elementary school, middle school, and high school, they don't last forever. Sort of, you know, people connect and then sort of fade away and then make other connections. So a lot of that is really natural. It's sometimes difficult, but that's, so you have to sort of accept the reality of something, if a friendship's fading away because of a lack of connection, that you reshift your focus, you kind of empower yourself to say, okay, I'm going to ask so-and-so to, you know, get ice cream with me or whatever it is, you know, to do something after soccer practice. So it's, it's taking a more proactive approach as opposed to just being passive and sort of accepting your fate that you're being excluded. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. And it gives them something empowering to do. Now, what if there is an underlying mental health concern? Like so many kids right now we know are struggling with anxiety, um, depression, and you'll hear, and maybe it's something that they're seeing on social media, but I hear this a lot like, oh, I, I can't go to the mall or I can't walk in there because I can see on the snap map that people I know are there and they have, I have social anxiety. Can we get a little check on what is social anxiety actually? And, and what it, what do we do as parents? Yes. All right. So I just want to make a blanket statement here that social anxiety is being way overused as a term. I mean, it is a real diagnosis, right? But it is being way overused by individuals who might experience a little bit of trepidation or a little bit of anxiety. Anxiety is not necessarily a bad thing about new social situations. So while social anxiety is real, I think way too many young people say, oh, I'm socially anxious. I can't do that. Instead of like just stepping into things, because we know that with anxiety exposure, doing what you're most afraid of is really one of the most common treatments. Um, so yes. It, and, and a lot of times that, that label of social anxiety, which I think is being mislabeled is actually feelings of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. I, you know, if I see, uh, you know, based on whatever, that there's three or four kids from my school or a bunch of kids from my school at the mall, and I, I don't want to go there because I have social anxiety, I would actually relabel that as you're feeling inadequate. You're not sure because these might not be good friends of yours, or you might be struggling with friendships. Uh, you're not sure then how to step into that situation, you know, how to just say, hey, how are you? And then just keep walking. Right. So it, feelings of inadequacy are really play a, a more predominant role in some of those situations. And when you have feelings of inadequacy, the way that you address it is by skill building, right, by having a skill, either, you know, communication skills or social emotional skills um, to manage those feelings of inadequacy. So it's not like, oh, just this kid is really great at friendships and this kid's not. I mean, these are skills that you can learn. And it probably takes, I guess, we need to, as parents, be more realistic that it probably doesn't happen in just one time. But we could teach right. our kids 
to instead say, we're going into the mall, even though the snap mat says there's four people from your school there. And if you see them, you're going to just say hi and keep walking rather than saying, I I can't get out of the car. Right. Right. And that's sort of pushing through, pushing through that anxiety. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't, you know, real issues in some of these situations in terms of people who, who do struggle with anxiety. And, and to your point, um, there actually are just kids that are naturally better and they tend to be a little bit more confident and, and have better communication skills that are just naturally better at creating friendships and social connections. There are kids that are not as good. But what we're saying is that these are a set of skills. So it's not like a, a fait accompli that you're if you're not good at making friends, that's it. You're never going to be able to have friends, um, you know, to focus more on one connection or one friend, one friend is a, um, is a protective factor. You don't need to have a big group of friends. If you have one person that you can, you know, do something with or connect with, that can be a real protective factor. You don't necessarily need a group of friends. Um, so focusing on one person, sometimes when you meet that one person, they have a friend and then they bring that friend in to do, to, you know, hang out or do things or be in a group chat. Um, and then from there, now you have two connections. So it's really just focusing on one person at a time. Yeah, but you don't need that giant group of friends um, no. to, 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 the one friend can make them feel protective. And I think we've all seen that. If, the, if your child is a friend, they all of a sudden feel like much more confident going to a place. They don't want to go to the bathroom by themselves. They don't want to show up a party by themselves. They just want to go. Um, so one friend can make the difference. Um, so since you said friendship is a skill, Let's talk about maybe some of the top three skills we could teach our kids that would make them have easier friendships. Uh, one, I know you say it's really important, is listening. So it's listening and communication. It's also reciprocity, right? So if you, I always think about it like starting in, in you know, with childhood, it's turn-taking, right? It's, it's, not, it's not turn-taking when you're, you know, 15, but, it, but it, you know, there is some aspect of that, right? I invited you to do something, Um, And now the hope is that you'll invite me to do something, that there's that reciprocity there. So if one person's doing all the inviting, it gets to be kind of tiring for for the other person. So, Mm. you know, engaging in a sense of initiation and turn taking and reciprocity, communication. I mean, those are some of the things that are really relevant to building friendships. And we also need to keep open communication with our kids so that maybe we know when they're having friendship troubles or what's going on in their life? How do we do that? (laughs) Well, I I think it's, you know, I say all the time, parents know their kids and you know, when your child is, seems a little bit more moody, a little bit more withdrawn, they're a little more angry and irritable, what, you know, and just saying what's going on. Right. And asking, and honestly, you usually have to ask more than one time, Mm. right? You don't get the answer the first time you ask. Um, you know, it's, it's okay. I asked you yesterday, you were stayed in your room all day. You didn't want to do anything. Usually you do something with your friend, Johnny, what's going on today, you know? And it's, so it's just being a little bit persistent as parents, seeing that your child might be struggling with something, sometimes putting a a label or an, you know, identifying it in some way. Hmm. I've noticed that, you know, a few weeks ago, you did a lot of things with uh, your friend, Sam, but I haven't seen you hang out with Sam in, in a couple of weeks. Is everything okay? Right. So you can ask that as an open-ended question. They might say, I'm fine. Um, and you say, okay, well, I hear, I hear you saying that you're fine, but if you're not fine, I'm certainly willing to talk about it. Right. So you're keeping that, that emotional door open 
Um, but I do think that there's a lot of persistence on parents' parts to say, you know, I see something's wrong or I see something's different or I see this different about your behavior and I'm here if you want to talk or connect. Yeah. So keeping that open door and resisting the idea, as we talked about with my co-host earlier, resisting the idea to go bang on someone else's door and say, why did you leave my kid out? <laughs> you know not, what? We all have stories idea, like right? that where parents have done that. I strongly suggest against it. Yes. I know it worked for Scott, but. <laughs> yes, uh, I do remember, and I'll share this, that um, there was one instance, I won't name who, of a parent very close to me who was so upset that someone was getting left out that that parent decided to go on Instagram and send a private message to the friend, like, hi, you know, did you want to make sure I can give Helena a ride? Like, we can't do that. We can't fix our friend. That's like, then what our kids are feeling super embarrassed, right? <laughs> well, then actually what you're doing in that situation is you're sending the, the direct or, or indirect message to your child that you are not competent to manage this, right? That's the message that you're sending, that okay. I'm taking over control. I don't care if you're five or 10 or 15 or 20. I'm taking over your control. You're so incompetent. You can't manage this. I'm taking over for you. So I think it sends a really, really bad message to your child. Now, again, I'm not saying don't validate. It's hard to be left out. It's hard to feel excluded. You know, it's how am I going to manage this situation? If your child's open to suggestions, you can offer some things. Um, but when it's an overall pattern that I want your child to shift their focus and find someone else, that they can initiate a connection and feel like they have a sense of control. Um, but I don't want to send the message that you're so inadequate. I'm taking over. Yeah. I'm taking over yeah. for you. No, that's a really good point. And the validation, I think people get stumped on that. Like, aren't I making it worse? Like sometimes they just want to be like, no, you're not left out. No, you're not happy. Let's go have ice cream. Like that's, we, we have this urge to want to make our kids feel happy. And maybe that's not the right way either. What does validating really do? It, for some, it might seem like you're really honing in on how bad they feel. So another word or another phrase I use for validation is reflexive listening. So your child says, I hate it when when those two get together and they exclude me all the time, right? It's not saying, oh, it'll be okay. It's, wow, you feel really left out when, when Sam and Mary get together, right? So you're validating, you're reflectively listening, you're reflecting back the feeling that they're sharing, right? And you can say, I, you know, it's hard to be left out. I've, I've experienced it in my own life. Um, I'm not saying you can't, like, as a parent, we naturally sometimes want to make things better. And it's okay to say, you know what, let's just go get ice cream, you and I. That's fine, too, right? Um, it doesn't fix anything. It just it just makes you feel a little bit better as a parent because you're doing something. Mm. And sometimes validating doesn't feel like you're doing enough. But reflectively listening to the the, the sentiments or the emotions that your child's expressing reflecting it back to them, you know, acknowledging that it's hard, acknowledging that it can be painful, emotionally painful to be left out, um, but not taking it away. I mean, I, I, I think maybe going to get a little ice cream is not necessarily taking it away, yeah. um, but it's, but certainly calling or, you know, sending a direct message to that. Oh my God, I just want to shake my head to that child to say, you know, I'll drive Mary if you want to invite her to the ice cream parlor with you. 
Right. That is really taking over and sending the message to your child that you feel like they're inadequate. <laughs> so we need to resist the urge to fix. I know parents have all crossed Please. the line before, but no fixing like that. Um, all right. Dr. Laura Saunders, always great wisdom. Thank you so much for being with us on Kara's Cures. Thank you for having me, Kara. And you can follow me at Kara Sundlin for more information on the cutting edge of wellness. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.